Hello, and welcome to the Harrisburg Brethren in Christ sermon series. Yasas, Kalos Irthates do Harrisburg Adelfuse Cristo, where our vision is to be a thriving, diverse urban church, sharing Christ's love and serving the needs of our local and global communities. Here's an example of what you'll hear. If God was powerful enough to raise Jesus from the dead, he's powerful enough to break these chains of addiction on me. He's powerful enough to break the generational curses in my family. He is powerful enough to stop the senseless violence in Harrisburg. I'm telling you this morning the incredible truth that Jesus Christ is crazy about you. Helping each other to experience God's love, God's power, God's healing. Helping to change one another's lives. Church can continue to be a place, or church can continue to become a people, my people. Let's pray. And now, here's this week's sermon. I hope that it speaks to your heart. As I, uh, as I bent over there, somebody grabbed me. I hope it was my wife. And uh, <laughs> today I'm reading from Luke chapter 24, verses 13 through 15. By the way, when it comes to that chocolate pie... I just want you to know Sheila is a false prophet. Jesus wants me to have that chocolate pie. Just uh, do not defy the Lord at the auction. Verse, verse, chapter, verse 13. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked alongside them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was, to, who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But they did not see Jesus. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. And as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly saying, stay with us for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while, we talked, while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. And there they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on their way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. Two disciples are walking. A stranger joins them. He says, uh, you guys kind of look down. What's going on? And they said, have you not heard what's going on? Have you been living under a rock? And then they proceeded to tell 
this stranger what had happened. Blinded by broken hearts, they did not recognize Christ, even as he interpreted the scriptures concerning himself. When they arrived at Emmaus, the stranger is persuaded to stay with them. And when he was at table with them, it says, he took the bread, he blessed it, broke it, and gave it to them, and their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. Isn't it fascinating that they recognize him only after worship? A little communion service right there. Doesn't that sound familiar? He took the bread, blessed it, and gave it to them. That's what we say every communion. They did not recognize him until after worship. By the way, I have taught that worship is a decision to praise God because he is worthy regardless of how we feel. But it is more. Worship is placing ourselves where God can do unplanned things in our hearts and in our midst. And we, because we are in worship, are ready to receive it. Worship puts us in a place where we expectantly wait for God to surprise us. I remind you that almost every significant interaction between God and humans in the scriptures came as a surprise. The men on the road to Emmaus were surprised. Moses was shocked to see a burning bush not consumed and that he was going to be the deliverer of Israel. Surprise! I'm sure Noah felt, you know, was taken aback when God said, I want you to build an ark on dry ground. Surprise! I'm sure Paul wasn't looking for the Damascus Road experience. I'm sure Mary wasn't looking for Gabriel to show up and say, you will be the mother of the Messiah of Israel. Almost every prophet called by God was shocked at the call and really had no desire for the job. They saw what happened to other prophets. Make no mistake about it. We serve a God who makes surprise visits all the time. Oswald Chambers in his book, My Upmost for His Highest, which is a Christian classic, was really passionate on this subject. He writes, the element of surprise is always the note of the Holy Ghost in us. If you live a nice, predictable life, if you're never surprised, I got news for you. You and the Holy Spirit aren't in touch and on talking terms. The wind blows where it will, and you hear the sound thereof. But do not know from where it comes and do not know where it goes. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. Your salvation was a surprising move of the Holy Spirit. I got news for you. You didn't plan your salvation. Jesus planned your salvation. He moved. You responded. People cannot control the wind, Jesus says. It blows where it wills. Neither can the Holy Spirit be tied up to our methods or our logic. Jesus himself said, watch, be ready. For in an hour that you think not the Son of Man comes. I've got news for you. This watching and being ready, it's not just for the end of time. It's not just for the apocalypse. It is for every day of our lives. Watch! The Son of Man is coming! Jesus appears where we least expect Him. And the only way you can keep true to God is to be ready for His surprise visits. Hallelujah. As Chambers continues, he said, It is this intense reality of expecting Him at every turn that gives life the attitude of a childlike wonder that Jesus wants us to have. When we are rightly related to God, life is full of, and I love this phrase, life is full of joyful uncertainty. I love that. This is the proper attitude in worship. Joyful uncertainty. 
looking for God to show up and move anywhere, anytime, through anyone, even in church, even in church. Bob Moeller went to a church to preach a revival meeting. It was the church's 100th anniversary. You know, they, they're one of the churches that you know, would have revival meetings every six months. And he was asked to preach, although he said it was predictable as Christmas what was going to happen. A Kleenex box was placed dutifully on the altar, just as it had been for years. Every revival for the few sensitive, same few sensitive souls who always came forward and got saved again and again and again. Some of you know what I'm talking about. The first night the sermon was over, Bob thanked the speaker and dismissed the people. And usually such a benediction brought a stampede to the door. But God was moving that night in a way no one predicted. And after the benediction, no one moved. Bob got up and assured them that it was okay to leave now, that they were finished. No one moved. Bob turned in a somewhat awkward manner to the other speaker. What do you do when people won't leave the church even when you ask them to? By the way, we have the same problem around here every Sunday. Get out! <laughs> and so they did what they, they didn't know what else to do. They just started walking through the pews praying for people as they requested it. Something powerful was at work. The next night the same thing happened. No one left following the benediction. They prayed more and more for people. And to quote Bob, he said, it seemed something much larger than we had imagined was stirring. A short time later, the pastor heard a knock on his front door, and it was an ex-Marine with a reputation for fighting and being just plain mean. And he was crying like a baby, holding an old Bible in his hands, and he was saved on the front porch that night. And soon, it was not uncommon to see many of these hard cases in that community come weeping in that church on Sunday mornings, broken by the power and the love of Jesus Christ. The Spirit was at work, and no one to this day knows what precipitated it. For the first time in 50 years, the church was filled again. Still, no one knows how and why. There were no concerts of prayer. There were no long prayer vigils. God just decided to show up one night as a sovereign act of His will. No one saw him coming. No one saw it coming. God is like that. Surprise! Worship is that joyful uncertainty that says, what is God up today? Up to today as we gather in his presence? Of course, some of God's surprises are easy to see. Some are not. Some miracles are obvious. Some are not. But do not discount any of God's miracles, no matter how unspectacular they are. Let me remind you that the two disciples on the road to Emmaus did not feel the earth shake. They did not hear lightning. They did not hear the roll of thunder. They were not brought to their knees by the awesome majesty of God. Why did their hearts burn? How did God set their hearts on fire? It was they found the Christ, the risen Christ in the ordinary. At a meal. On a walk. In a conversation. Saying grace at the table. Their hearts burned because of that. Jesus meets us not just in cathedrals and church buildings, but on shorelines and boats and homes and streets and country roads. This is where God shows up. Anywhere. Everywhere. One of the great dangers of church and Christianity is that we will reduce God to theology and ritual. 
that God will become some abstract concept and cease to be a living, resurrected person loose in our lives, that he will be domesticated through our religion. Religion, in the worst terms, is the human attempt to make God manageable. It says where God is contained, where his boundaries are, where he can and cannot show up, what he can and cannot do. Instead of God is present in all of life, bad religion makes God predictable. God no longer has any surprises, no longer shows up everywhere and anywhere, no longer makes our hearts burn with ecstasy on the roads of life. He is not the risen Christ who is alive and here and who changes us. He is not the living Christ who moves and guides and empowers and takes us places beyond ourselves. He is not the Christ who says, follow me, and I will pour my life, my spirit, into your hearts. The God of religion is like a mannequin in a store window. He looks good, but he's not alive. The real God moves, talks, communes, loves, touches, heals, transforms. He is not life-like. He is life. Erwin Raphael McManus said one day, he's a pastor, writer in Los Angeles, and he said one day his son got in a church fight at day camp. Somebody at that camp had had the audacity to talk about his mama. And so he had to do what he had to do. He punched the guy in the nose. Of course, McManus was the pastor of all this. And he said, what did the guy say? And his son told him, And he said, to be honest with you, I was with him. I was with him. But anyway, as a pastor and a Christian, he said, I still insisted that my son Aaron make things right. Aaron said he would not. (laughs) And in fact, he insisted on being allowed to leave the camp. He said, I don't want to hang around these guys that talk about my mama like that. And his son Aaron reminded McManus that he had committed to him that he would never have to pretend or play the Christian game just because he was a preacher's kid. Don't you hate it when your kids quote you back to you? Don't you hate that? You know, people quote my sermons back to me all the time, and I hate it too! I don't... You know, I... Never mind. (laughs) McManus said that, that if he wanted to leave the camp, he could leave. But he said it's a mistake. He insisted and asked if McManus would help him pack, and he said no. He said, son, I won't stop you from leaving, but I'm not going to help you leave either. So for the next hour, he put together his stuff, dragged it up the hill, and pushed it into the car. And he said, just as we were about to leave, I asked him to sit with me to talk just one last time before we drove away. He said, we sat on two big rocks in the middle of the woods, and I asked him a simple question. Aaron, is there any voice inside you telling you what you should do? And he paused and then responded, yes. What's the voice telling you to do? That I should stay and work it out, Dad. And I asked him, can you identify that voice? And he immediately said, yes, it is God. It was the moment I had waited for all his life. I didn't expect it to come under those circumstances. Nevertheless, it was there. I turned to Aaron and said, Aaron, do you realize what just happened? You just heard the voice of the living God. 
He spoke to you from within your soul. Forget everything else that just happened. God has spoken to you and you were able to recognize him. He says, I'll never forget Aaron's response. Well, I'm still not doing what he said. That is the human condition in a nutshell, isn't it? McManus explained to him that it was his choice, but this is what would happen. If he rejected the voice of God and chose to disobey his guidance, he said that Aaron's heart would become harder and his ears would become duller. And if he continued on this path, there would be a day where he would not hear the voice of God. There would come a day when he would deny that God even speaks or has ever spoken to him. But if he treasured God's voice and responded to him with obedience, then his heart would be softened and his ears would always be able to hear the whisper of God into his soul. Aaron, praise God, chose to stay. If he had chosen differently, he would have been, been going along the path of the domestication of God. Perhaps he would have never rejected the faith overtly. He might have even chosen to be a faithful attender at a church somewhere and been by everyone else's estimation a good man. But he would no longer have been a real follower of Christ living in the resurrection power of Christ. Let me ask you, how unique is Aaron's experience? For how many of us, God seems far away because something like this happened to us. God nudged, and we didn't move. God spoke, and we wouldn't listen. God asked, but we discounted it. God asked us to take a risk, but we wouldn't make a mistake. And guess what? God became unreal at some point in the journey. And we became cynical somewhere in the journey. God is real. Jesus is loose. Right in the middle of everything, in the middle of our marriages, our friendships, our jobs, our houses, our inner worlds, He will not be confined. He will not be covered with plastic and put in a store window for display in the name of religion. He will be no one's mannequin. He is alive and present and moving, whether we move with Him or not, or whether we pay attention or not. He is the resurrection. Too many people think resurrection has only to do with the end of time. It's an event that happens before you get to stay in heaven forever. But Jesus' resurrection is more than that, more than a future event. Resurrection happens anytime Jesus touches someone in this world. Anytime Jesus interjects himself into a situation in this world. He raises us up from dead living now. He gives life where it is missing now. He overcomes what is killing us now. Even now, Jesus means for us to leave a string of empty tombs in our life. He comes to give us what we can't manufacture, we can't control, that which is beyond us. He comes to resurrect us now. I remember the night I was resurrected, hallelujah, June the 25th, 40-some years ago. <laughs> He comes with the power of the resurrection into our hearts so we can live by that power beyond sin, beyond ego, beyond hatred, beyond addictions, beyond lust, beyond the world's power to seduce, beyond Satan's power to enslave. You see, 
We need resur regular resurrections in our life because there are all kinds of manifestations of death all around us. We need to be raised. And by the way, while I'm in this principle of joyous uncertainty, let me say it applies even to ministry and missions. Can I tell you a little secret this morning? Jesus doesn't want us to go out into the world and evangelize and start transforming lives and situations. Did you know that? You know why he doesn't want us doing it? Because he's already there doing it himself. And he's waiting for us to catch up with him and discover what he's up to in Jerusalem and Judea and the other most parts of the world. Remember, Jesus is the one who came for us, not vice versa. He said, I have chosen you. You haven't chosen me. Jesus did not come to show us a road map to God. He did not come to show us how to hunt for God. He is, like on the Emmaus Road, God coming to find us. It is God pursuing us. It is God hunting us. So often we go, how do I find my way? Just wait. He'll get to you if you're open. God is out there, and God is in here choosing us today. Hallelujah. Choosing us. God, give us the eyes to see and the ears to hear. James Moore tells the story of some years ago, a crew of Peruvian sailors were cruising up the Amazon River. And there, like a scene from the Twilight Zone, was a Spanish ship anchored in the middle of the river. All of the sailors were stretched out weakly on the deck of the ship. As the Peruvians drew closer, they saw that the Spaniards were in terrible physical condition. They looked half dead because they were half dead. Their lips were cracked and parched and swollen. They were literally dying of thirst. Can we help you, shouted the Peruvians. And they rasped back, water, water, we need fresh water. The Peruvian sailors, surprised at this request, told them, then lower your buckets and help yourselves. You see, the Amazon River is huge as it nears the shore. And the Spanish the sailors thought they were lost in the open ocean. And the water all around them was salt water and undrinkable. They had been anchored in the midst of fresh water for days. And didn't know it. And were dying of thirst in the middle of the biggest river in the world. As Moore points out, he says, the same thing happens to millions of Christians every Sunday and through the fabric of their lives. God is all around us. His Spirit lives within every believer. Yet millions of us are still dying of thirst despite the fact that the living water is all around them and in them too. My friends, the greatest tragedy that I, I think can befall God's people is to miss His presence all around us is to die of thirst when the river of God is flowing right through the middle of us. That's why Jesus wept over Jerusalem at the end of his life. Jesus said, I am here. God incarnate is here and you have totally missed it. I did miracles and you totally did not get it. I preached and you did not hear. I would have taken you under my wings as a mother hen does her chicks, and you wouldn't. You were sitting in the middle of the vast river of God's love, and you wouldn't drink. And Jesus, seeing this tragedy, wept. 
It's kind of like St. Augustine wrote. He said, you were in me, but I was on the outside. You know, it's like the, the old man. There was an old man, a guy saw this in, in San Francisco. He was on top of the hill. There was the Golden Gate Bridge and the bay and the hills and the city. It was absolutely a breathtaking view. And there was an old man sitting there begging. And the sign he had up was... It is spring, and I am blind. That's terrible when that's a spiritual condition. When God is all around us, when life is all around us, when resurrection is all around us, when it is spring, and we are blind. God, help us. God, help us. My friends, our goal here today is nothing less than Letting God find us on our Emmaus roads and responding to him. We are here not so much to find God, but to let God find us today. He's not neutral towards you. He's not sitting back going, if you're good enough or if you pray enough or whatever, I'll come looking for, I'll let you touch me. I'll let you touch the hem of my garment. That is the opposite of what's going on here. God breaks into our world in unexpected ways. Joshua Ryan Butler has a friend named Sylvia who is brilliant and shocked at how Jesus showed up in her life. She traveled the globe. She had multiple postgraduate degrees, masters and a doctorate. She cared passionately for people, fought against injustice, and wanted to make the world a better place. But there was an emptiness, and eventually she began to explore God, but could not overcome her intellectual object objections to the faith. You know, she was trying to calculate God. You cannot. There are scads, there are mountains of evidence for the existence of God. But to be honest, there's considerable evidence that says there is no God. How do you wade through all of that stuff? She couldn't. Sylvia couldn't. So she tried to follow up by, begin by beginning to read, research, and study. She she, the more she tried to figure God out, however, the more conflicted she became. Tired from the struggle, she became convinced that Christianity was a sham and collapsed in frustration on her couch and suddenly feeling overwhelmed. And then, after she gave up, after she said, this is all a sham, guess what? She would have this overwhelming sensation of God's presence with her on the couch. She had experiences like this over and over again, frustrated at trying to figure out God and collapsing in frustration only to find God coming after her. Eventually, she gave in and received Jesus. She traded, and I love this phrase, she traded her pursuit of God for God's pursuit of her. Hallelujah. That didn't mean she checked her brain at the door. But gradually, the questions she struggled with took on a new light. God became the starting point rather than a conclusion she reached on her own terms. She exercised, in, in, in the words of St. Anselm, faith-seeking understanding instead of understanding-seeking faith. And as it was when you put on a new pair of spectacles from the perspective of God's kingdom, many things came into focus and began to make sense to this brilliant Sylvia. 
Over the years since then, he says, I've seen Sylvia's life radically transformed by the relentless love of God. She's encountered Jesus in her scars and insecurities, the places she couldn't figure out. She has learned to see God approaching her. And not only approaching her, finding her again and again and again. Can I tell you a paradox this morning? Here's the paradox. You cannot prove the existence of God, but you can know him. How about that? You cannot prove the resurrection of Jesus Christ, but you can experience the resurrection firsthand. You see, we have to accept revelation over calculation. Where most people in a spiritual journey mess up is they think they can calculate their way to God by trying to prove he, he exists or to figure out through him out through the narrow lenses of science and logic and philosophy. If you are trying to calculate your way to God, good luck. You have a long, hard journey ahead of you. That is not how God operates. God does not operate by calculation. He operates by revelation. Revelation is God coming for us and showing himself to us. The question is, will we receive what he is giving? Or will we, our feeble calculations about him block all of that? In this life, there will be questions that will never be answered. And if they have to be answered, see you later. But that doesn't stop faith. Doubt doesn't stop faith. Unanswered questions do not stop faith. I want to propose an experiment this morning. Live as if Christ is alive. Act as if he is with you and for you. Open yourself to his love and presence just in case it might be there. Accept his guidance and power. Do not let your brain's limited exposure to reality stop you. Just like Sylvia, don't let your brilliance get in the way. Don't let your calculations get in the way because it's not about calculations, it's about revelation. You know, it's like a golf swing. I don't want to hear any comments from the congregation on this, but if you go to get over a golf ball and you're worried about, your, you're thinking about your grip, and you're thinking about keeping your right arm in, and you're thinking about keeping your left arm straight, and you're thinking about how to hold your head, and how, how bent over to be, and how wide your stance should be, I got news for you. You can't hit a dang golf ball that way. Scott Harrison knows I can't hit a golf ball that way. <laughs> but if you just focus like on one or two things in a golf swing, you can hit a golf ball. Why? As any good coach will tell you, sometimes you've got to get out of your own way. Sometimes. As wonderful as a mind is, and as much as I believe in study and, and, and education and academia and reading, sometimes your brain just gets in the way. Try this experiment. Try and see what happens. You just may get the surprise of your life. Guess who just may show up? Because of the resurrection means anything. It means God is going to show up sooner or later. The question is, will you receive him and what he brings 
on his terms instead of yours. And by the way, our terms are sometimes, you know, God do this miracle or God prove yourself or God. But that's the way the Pharisees did it. Your position, your spiritual stance is joyous uncertainty. I'm here waiting for you to show up, God. Let's see what happens. Will you take what he's giving even if you can't figure it all out? Will you let him set your heart on fire and you watch it burn? And let him open your eyes to real reality? That is the question today. I have good news for you. Jesus is alive and loose in the world this morning. Jesus got out of the grave. Jesus is here in his spirit. Jesus is walking up and down these aisles. Jesus has put a river inside of you. Jesus has given you water to drink. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And, he not, and because he is, he's, not only is he alive, he's going to make us aliver. Hallelujah. That's what we celebrate today. I'd like the worship team or Bart or somebody to come forward. I'd like the intercessors to come forward. But I have to say this while they're coming forward. Please, if you don't know the Lord, try the experiment. Try Give God at least an opening to become real to you. Give him at least an opening. And it may not happen today or tomorrow or next week, but if you have joyous uncertainty... Or just uncertainty. But you're open. I think Jesus will find you. And make himself real to you. And save you. Just like Sylvia. Altar is open for anybody. For any prayer. Would you stand as we worship the Lord? Would you stand as we celebrate Resurrection Sunday? Would you stand as we praise Jesus Christ? Not just for what happened 2,000 years ago, but for what is happening now. Will you praise him? And we will pray.
Sunday where I say Christ is risen and you say Christ is risen indeed. I'm going to say it three times and I'm going to start off loud and get louder. And you crescendo up with me until the last, the last Christ is risen. We're shouting together, okay? And then we are going to leave, all right? So here we go. Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah.